0: Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.
1: Hey guys, LD here with a small parental warning. This episode contains extremely adult themes, so listeners under 13, maybe sit this one out.
0: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill and TJ2.
2: Hey
1: guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives careers and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host LD, along with me for the ride this week is Will the Thrill. Good, is it morning, afternoon, evening? What All of them.
3: Yes. good that to you
1: and this week's storyteller mr tj2 the deuce <coughs> did you take up the symbols <laughs> what was that What the triangle are <laughs> you <laughs> been practicing are you, are you drinking out of a stein
4: i uh no i'm drinking out of my uh, yeti lowball cooler oh, <laughs> oh there okay. we go there,
2: there it is and uh I had quite road. of a
4: I've had quite a fortnight fellas so uh, <laughs> not, I'm not even playing with beer today I'm going straight for the brown liquor. Ah, I got it.
1: <laughs> Fair enough um, so I, I know you can't divulge a whole heck of a lot of what you were doing before but can you can you give the folks a rundown of how your last two weeks have been?
4: Okay well um, the, I'm, I'm sure listeners by now know that my regular pay the bills job not that we aren't lucratively remunerated for our work here. Um, I
1: mean, it's because, you know, we stole all of Universal's music
4: and that's how we're... Right, because, yeah, right because, there, we're, clearly. Okay, because we're, we're just raking in the bucks off that. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm, I am write for a newspaper. I'm the editor. And I had to cover for the past two weeks a federal trial of uh, an indicted former sheriff and two deputies. That entailed driving to our lovely state capital of Columbia every day for the last two weeks the courthouse is exactly 85 miles from my house, so 170 miles round trip every day, had to be in there at nine, and you stay until they're done, and that might be five, and it might be six, and then sometimes I still had to go back to my office and write afterward. I had to use most of my lunch breaks to write the up stories of the first half of the day to the exclusion of eating, (laughs) and uh, LD had quite a had quite a little time. She told you about in one of our Bowie episodes, working on a production that in, uh, that involved her walking sixty miles in a week. Yeah, I didn't quite, didn't quite have to do that, but I did work about one hundred and thirty hours the last two weeks, which is not a thing people should do. I don't mention what I did the last two weeks to elicit any sympathy or make anybody to put on a big show about look how hard I worked plying my craft. It's I just want people to know if I sound tired or out of it or if it sounds like my brains are turning into mashed potatoes over the course of this episode i want you to know why that is
1: mm, mashed potatoes are good
4: mm, Mashed pot- mm, tasty brain potatoes
1: well then other than my brother's brain potatoes we do have sad news uh we yes. had three,
3: three over yeah
1: three people passed oh. away since we recorded our bowie episode yep we had somebody who was a personal impact on my life because I don't ever talk about it as much as I should, but Meatloaf is one of my favorite people on the planet. And and this is a there's a there's a line that that clearly delineates my loves because Meatloaf, as we all know, was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And from yep. the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I actually found bad out of hell.
3: I was gonna say Black Dog with Patrick Swayze, but you
1: know. No. Know. But uh, but uh, he PS one fifty seven or PS fifty seven is another really good movie. But like, okay, but it's not about it's not about Meatloaf. It's about Meatloaf's music. Jim Steinman passed yes. away.
4: Yeah, and for those who don't know, Steinman wrote almost all of Meatloaf's big hits. He also wrote Total Eclipse of the Heart, and I believe he wrote It's All Coming Back to Me.
1: Uh, which would again. For some reason, that would uh, thematically make sense, but let yes, me, it would. Let, let me double check that,
4: okay? That, but that's, his his songs were they were they were big, they're dramatic, they're thematic, they're
1: they're 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 gothic, archaic, and gorgeous.
4: Yes, it's not. He was. He did not. I'll tell you one of the things that was cool about him. He managed to have a lot of success as a songwriter despite eschewing any idea of what a typical pop song should sound like
1: yeah okay so i just looked up here are some of the acts that he is associated with meatloaf bonnie tyler pandora's box the sisters of mercy celine dion so you were right about that air supply barry manilow Cher, barbara streisand todd rungren roy dodd billy squire like it's that's uh, that that's some of the biggest acts that we ever grew up with
4: sure but, and he wrote, and and of course he wrote "Bad Out of Hell," and I think "Paradise by the Dashboard Light," and.
1: But also, if you look at if you look at the videos for "I Would Do Anything for Love," but I won't do that," and Celine Dion's, it's all coming back to me now. It's very similar, like the motorcycles, the leaves, the gothic castle that they're shooting in, the running down the hallways, and it's it's all very similar. But yeah, that that's a really tragic loss because he he did, like you said, eschew what. The idea of a contemporary pop song would be considered but somehow managed to transcend that and find so much success
4: and and managed to be relevant over such a long period of time despite the fact that a lot of people may not be really that familiar with him Mm. yeah but you look at the art the artist he's associated with them and that's uh, he had at least a 20 plus 20 30 plus year run of of really big hits for a wide array of artists
3: yeah, and you yeah. know those songs without question. Yeah. yeah. And then uh and then we had uh two losses in the hip hop world. We had Black Rob passed away. He was only 51 years old. Jeez. 51 and he died from a prolonged battle with kidney failure. Oh jeez. Which is yeah. just awful. That's, that's... Uh, he was of course with Bad Boy Records, one of P Diddy's Yeah. Uh, label mates and uh yeah, we lost him at the age of 51 and then the one most recent which actually hit me hard and I think T.J. hit you hard as well. Was uh, G Shock Gregory Jacobs? Yep. Yeah, yeah, hump has gone to that Burger King bathroom in the sky.
4: Yep, all right, stop what you're doing. And yeah,
3: unbelievable 57, only 57. So you have Black Rob at 51, you know, Jacobs at 57. Just and I don't know about you, but I remember when that album Sex Packets hit in the early oh, 90s, God. that was unbelievable.
4: That oh. was it, was huge. It yeah, was uh, it was. And you know, the thing is. Every everybody knows the Humpty Dance, of course. I think all three of us could probably trade the lyrics off right now. We could oh. sing the whole song. It was one of we're my parlors. We're yeah. going. We're going to scare. We're going to spare people that unique experience. <laughs> yes, but, I but, you, but I we could. I, yeah. But I was going to say it's. They were a lot more than one
3: song. Oh, um, absolutely.
4: I love same song that was on the Nothing But Trouble soundtrack.
3: The way we swing, oh, such good. It's, it it's the it's the
4: only redeeming thing that that movie provided humanity. And they they
3: appeared in the film if I'm not mistaken.
4: Uh, yeah, regrettably, yes, but um the song is really good. So the and whole then the film um, is
1: regrettable. The don't say one person is they they re- regrettably up here, no that whole movie is awful and we're it's that, is, that
4: is I'm, I, I, I maintain and y'all have seen a lot more movies than i have i know i maintain that is the worst movie ever made and that i certainly the worst one i've ever seen
3: yeah. the, the point we're trying to make is on a completely just again turd of a film the one bite spot was the appearance of the digital underground, Every right, oh,
4: digital underground and, and there's yeah. songs saying, uh, and and kiss you and i'll kiss you back and they just, they had a ton of great songs uh so yeah that that's tough so stop what you're doing and pay some respect to uh another wonderful lost artist yeah
3: in that respect. peace and humptiness forever T shock yeah so who are we talking about today
4: so uh we are continuing with our heavy hitter series uh we we began with uh eddie van halen and then adam Yauch, and we just finished up 158 consecutive <laughs> weeks on david bowie or whatever it was we did the,
3: the <laughs> retrospective of, yeah
1: it was 226 uh-huh. weeks
4: don't yeah i think i just got right. my i think i just got my driver's permit when we started that one um but <laughs> um uh no we did I, I, five weeks on david but we extended a little bit by a couple of break weeks because of uh LD's he, released this, work he released
3: his 20th album when we started that <laughs> right
4: so we are moving on now to the next in the series and i'll be taking lead on this one probably a three-part episode and this is on a person who is famous And infamous, (laughs) which means very famous for anyone who has seen um, The Three Amigos, um, (laughs) on on a lot of fronts. And there are a lot of people who might not be familiar with much of his work. There's one song you've most certainly heard. But I think that you're going to see as we start to lay this out, there's a lot more than one song and one famous comedy sketch uh, in the life, times, and career of Rick James, bitch. Rick James. (laughs) So...
1: Oh, wait, is he the original RGB? RJB? RJB. Yeah, He's oh, RGB.
4: Oh gosh, you were close. Oh god, you went for something and you failed. But I'm glad. <laughs> to <talk. laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth
1: it. it. I tried. I tried. Dang it.
4: So, as I was just alluding to, even if you don't know anything about the life, legacy, or death of the subject of the series we're about to start, I promise you, you know his name, and I'm going to demonstrate it. <laughs> LD. Go yes. ahead and do it, Rick James. That's not is? quite. You're not quite done. Well, b- bitch. Thank you, uh, Will. <laughs> you want to do it, <laughs> Rick James, bitch?
1: See, it's it's okay. So here's the snake eating the the snake tail. I I have a hard time dealing with Rick James because when it came down to the ESPN oh, yes. uh, Sweet Sixteen of best Dave Chappelle episodes, <laughs> I got beat. By Rick
3: James.
4: you're going to lose out. Yes. Okay. So let's go ahead and get this out in the open. Just from, from the jump we've managed to find. Now, some of them have been thread thin connections to every artist that we've done thus far. Um, We did Eddie Van Halen. LD's first screen credit was for murder in New Hampshire about Pam Smart. Pam Smart apparently did a strip tease to the Van Halen song uh, in and out. Before they had sex for the first time, so, so it's a very so it's a very it is a <laughs> um, so that's a very thin connection, but it is one. Uh, the second one we had a direct connection when uh, Will took lead on the Adam Yao episode, in that the Beastie Boys followed LD on Twitter, it's quite which, hilarious, but well, hilariously for for no reason that we can figure.
1: And they still follow me, You're and I there. don't know
4: why. <laughs> and they still follow her for reasons that, that only the Beastie Boys know. Um, okay, so the last episode, uh, I don't we had something, and I don't remember what it was with so Bowie. Oh, I
1: was in the same city at the same time.
4: Or something like that. It wasn't much of one.
2: Yeah.
4: We've got a pretty direct one here. For those who don't know, L.D. was in one of the most <laughs> infamous and hilarious Comedy skits to ever air on American <laughs> television, that being the <laughs> Dave Chappelle bit featuring a white family whose last name was an ethnic slur. Okay, you've probably seen. It. If you ever watched Chappelle, you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> He's a dude. L- LD was had one of your one of your most famous screen credits. I would imagine the one that people probably recognize you the most from was from being on Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Okay. Dave Chappelle also well, another of his most famous bits was the true Hollywood story with he and Charlie Murphy acting out uh, <laughs> portions of Charlie's interaction with Rick James, which is amazing. Yep, yeah. The old the old and now what LD was referring to there, the old website Grantland at one time did a sixty four team bracket NCAA style tournament to determine the best Dave Chappelle show bit ever, and LD's made it to the final four. And and lost to the Rick James True Hollywood Story, which then actually did lose to the blind black KKK man in the final. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the black white supremacist. Yep. Yeah, yes, the blind black white supremacist. But you made it to the final four, which is something to be really proud of.
1: I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that. Also, that you you know that that skit was done 18 years ago.
3: That's so scary. So if you really want to feel old, I was in my (laughs) twenties. (laughs) as was I it was a more innocent time
1: I think I was 22 or 23 when we shot that
4: yeah oh yeah and and maybe you know we've we've toyed around with the idea of doing some little shorties we're, we're gonna call them or something where we do just little short episodes that aren't really about a celebrity death we just tell dumb stories and give dumb lists and make have fake dumb arguments and just stuff like that but you know, you we at some point should mention your whole hit because you were actually going to be brought back when Dave uh decided he wished to no longer be on television, right?
2: Yes. That was, yeah. Yes. It
1: was, well, he, he Dave is the kind of person that uh, if he likes you, he will bring you back for other skits. And so the, the second season finished and, you know, like the, the reception for the skit that I was in was so good that they were actually going to kind of make it a thing. Right. But the... Uh, You know, he he disappeared for, what, three or four months and then uh, walked away from the... So there was a whole
3: controversy with the network.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and all that stuff. And they ended up airing some unfinished episodes he didn't want to be put on and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so... But yes, as we all just said, Rick James, bitch. You might not know his music, but you know darkness. And you know exactly what the Five Fingers said to the face. (laughs) That cocaine is a hell of a drug. Why, he wished he had more hands. And you know rick james bitch thanks to an all-time funny bordering on immortal skit from dave Chappelle on his eponymous tv comedy show the springboard that could have given the career of the man it centered on musician rick james could have been tremendous i'm rick james bitch became a universal catchphrase one that actually ended up enraging and turning off the man who made it famous on television (laughs) unfortunately James died just months after the sketch aired, meaning his long-dormant career never got a jump start. (laughs) Instead, to a lot of people, all it served to do was make Rick James a punchline. His own behavior and persona didn't help on that front, particularly as it related to his over-the-top drug use personality and libidinous bragging. He was infamous. He was accused and convicted of horrible crimes and openly admitted to committing disgusting, horrific acts, which we will t- touch on later in this series,
1: is this like R. Kelly level stuff?
4: oh uh, It's worse. Yeah, it's. Oh wow. It's okay. worse. No, it's no, it's yeah, no, it's worse than, no, no, no. Yeah, it's way worse than what R. Kelly did. Wow. Okay. Buckling. Crimes against cri- crimes against nature and such as that. Ooh. When you focus on the music, though, you'll figure out that while he might remain a punchline, Rick James is not a joke. So James Ambrose Johnson Jr., better known by his stage name, Rick James, was born in Buffalo, New York on February 1st, 1948. He was one of eight children of mother Mabel and father James Ambrose Johnson Sr. His father, an auto worker, left the family when James was a young child. His mother was a a very interesting person to say the very least. Hmm. Now she was a devout Catholic and a young James was actually an altar boy at St. Bridget's Roman Catholic Church. However, to help pay the bills, his mother was a dancer for the famed dancer Catherine Dunham, but she also worked to earn extra money by serving as a numbers runner for the mob. Wow. Okay, wait, What
1: what is a numbers runner?
4: I think, well, and you can help me out here. Yeah. Did she go collect, I think? Which we have been collecting on
3: the numbers game? It, it usually yeah, if there's some kind of betting or structure in place there, a numbers runner will either collect the payment or they could just be a general courier between the parties. So And and and, and the, the quote
4: numbers game was almost like an illegal lottery. Am it, I right on that? Basically, yeah. I mean it
3: was yeah, it was basically an underground lotto for the right. for the sake of conversation. Yeah. Got it.
4: So she would often take her son along as she went on her collection route, which often had them in clubs and bars. That allowed him to see performers like John Coltrane, Miles Davis, and Etta James in New York. That fed a love of music that was already developing inside him. He had always been the kind of child that liked banging on pots and pans, but he also began singing in the church choir and playing in the band at school. Street corner performances soon followed. He learned to play the bongos and other percussion instruments, and James was well on his way to becoming an actual musician. James had a number of pursuits that were commonplace in young boys. He played basketball at the YMCA, and he played football. Oh, and he got laid when he was nine.
3: Oh, Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry,
4: what? Yeah. Uh, What What did you do today, honey? I petted a doggy and rode in my bike and got stanky on my wiener.
1: That, that what work? in the statutory rape are you talking about? Yeah,
3: how the? Uh, I mean, I have questions, but at the same time, I don't want them answered. He claims that he lost his virginity when he was nine
4: years old to an older woman. She was fourteen. Older
3: would be ten.
4: <laughs> yes. Well, she was fourteen. Oh
3: my! Wow. Goodness. She was. Re-
4: she was really robbing the cradle, like almost literally. Yeah. Wow. I bet that was a satisfying romp for all involved. Well, if
1: you'll excuse me, I've now got to go burn all my clothes and take a shower and possibly light my skin on fire.
3: I don't know. I mean, when when I was nine, that really wasn't something I was thinking about. Um, um, I uh, I
4: I developed uh, and I developed an interest in the opposite sex at a very young age, but I don't think it was nine.
3: Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't think. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, this girl is, is pretty, but that's about where it stopped. Yeah. <laughs> Daisy Duke makes me feel funny when I see her. Yeah. I probably
4: would have been thinking when I was nine. Yeah. Yeah. So he was nine and she was 14. Wow. Yeah. He said, he said, quote, my kinky nature was there early. Maybe mom saw it and thought by putting me in Catholic school, the nuns would cure me. <laughs> or, for a all, I walked straight and narrow and even became an altar boy. That didn't last long. The streets were calling, and so were the older girls. How did you even know what to do with it when you were nine? Yeah. Really? Like, what? I mean, I know it's kind of ingrained into people, then you figure it out on your own somehow,
1: but
4: when you're nine,
1: Guys, we're, we're 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 moving on from this. Okay. Yeah. Moving on to whatever's okay. next. It doesn't okay,
4: matter. Ms. Okay, Miss Okay, Miss Killjoy. He began to smoke marijuana fairly regularly when he was very young That's and dabbled better. with and dabbled with heroin for the first time in his very
3: early teens. It doesn't get any better. I thought
4: okay. So by the time he's 13, he's had sex, smoked weed, and done heroin
3: plane has crashed
4: into the mountain what a sheltered life i lived
3: yeah yeah you see you didn't do
4: heroin until you were 22 i was gonna say god i I didn't i didn't start playing with smack till i had a driver's license (laughs) he did he did heroin when he was 13 years old Living outside the bounds of the law went beyond drug use, however, as he was arrested and jailed a number of times for petty theft and burglary. When he was either 14 or 15, hoping to avoid the draft, he lied about his age and joined the Navy Reserves. That strategy (laughs) might, yeah, he says 14 or 15. Now, that strategy might have worked, but as he started playing drums in New York jazz bands and pursuing all of the things that he enjoyed, namely women and drugs, he repeatedly missed his twice-monthly mandated naval service sessions above, aboard the USS Enterprise. Now, the military takes a fairly dim view of folks simply not showing up for duty, so James soon found himself ordered to be enlisted and sent to Vietnam. Oh, at wow. 15. At, at about 15 years old. The letter ordering him to report showed up the day that he played on stage with one of his idols, Thelonious Monk.
1: Oh, wow.
4: Um, Now, this was in the early 60s, so America's involvement in conflicts in Vietnam were still somewhat in their infancy, but James had already heard terrible stories about what was going on there and had, in fact, joined the reserves for the express purpose of not having to go there to start with. He claims to have had dreams of, quote, sinking ships and falling bombs and his throat being slit and his heart pierced by bayonets. Oh, that's vivid. I mean... was he already, he,
1: but he he hadn't shipped out yet, right? Like he hadn't, he had not shipped out yet,
4: right? Uh, no, he, he had gone to a couple of these reserve sessions that he had to go through to, I think like two weekends a month, but then he stopped showing up because he was like playing in clubs on the weekends and he just didn't feel like going.
3: Got it. And he's at Got the ripe right bold age of 15 or
4: 16. And he's 15 whole years old and whatnot. So at, at this point with a letter telling him that he was uh, going to have to enlist and go to Vietnam, he went AWOL, and like many young men of the era looking to avoid military conscription, he fled to Canada, settling in Toronto. Hmm. I don't remember exactly where I read it, but someone brilliantly stated that at this point, Ginger's life story began to mirror that of Forrest Gump, a coked-out and version of Forrest Gump, with, with his path crossing that of an unholy array of celebrities and historical events. James claimed in his posthumous biography, Glow, that not long after getting to Toronto, quote, three white guys attacked him on the street. Now, he would quite famously much later brag about smacking people and leaving ring indentations in a friend's head, and we will get there later on. But he was a kid and was outnumbered in this instance. He said, fortunately, that, quote, three other white guys intervened and saved him. The name of one of those three is probably lost to history. At least I couldn't find it. But the other two certainly are not, as there were a couple of struggling young musicians named Garth Hudson and Levon Helm.
3: Levon Helm. They,
4: they were in a band at that point, but they would end up being two members of the band, like Up on Cripple Creek, oh, Atlantic wow. City, the Night band. They Drove Old Dixie Down, The way. The Band.
3: Oh, wow. Which is...
4: Um,
1: did you just glaze over like one of their biggest hits? It's the weight,
4: man. I, I said the weight. He did, yeah. Well, I heard you, the wait.
1: but that was like tucked
4: in between two other songs. I said they have a ton of, the, the the band had a ton of great songs. Which is good, but they also
1: have like the worst name.
4: They and well not the worst. We've discussed with, the any, worst. with anybody else, it would seem like braggadocio to call yourself the band, but um they kind of carried it so i mean robbie robertson levon helm garth hudson that was that was some stuff and that was that was basically dylan's band for a while yeah 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 um they then supposedly took james who was rather shaken up to a club where they would be performing that night as the backing band for ronnie hawkins james apparently joined them on stage at some point that night There was apparently a thriving music scene in Toronto at this point, and James made musical friends beyond just Helm and Hudson, although those those were two pretty impressive ones to have. One of the first of those was Bruce Palmer, who would go on to play bass for Buffalo Springfield. Mm -hmm. And Nick St. Nicholas, who would later join a band called Sparrow that then became Steppenwolf. He became very good friends with a young folk musician as well named Joni Mitchell, who you may have heard of.
3: Yeah, I think we have. Yeah. In,
4: in an oddity for James, the relationship was apparently completely platonic, which is not a thing I think he had with many females, I given what we already know two pages into this episode.
3: And, and fourteen quote, years and nine years into his life. Right. Nine years
4: into his life. Quote, it wasn't sexual, but musical as an MF. She and I would sit up all night listening to Miles Davis's sketches of Spain, he said.
3: Which, by the way, prior to this episode, I'm really curious to know how many of you had this image in your head of Rick James and Joni Mitchell hanging out. Anyone? Nope. Any takers? Nope. Listening,
4: and, and listening to Miles Davis.
3: Listening to Miles Davis, yeah.
4: At someone's flat in Toronto. No. <laughs> I've to that When I started researching this, yeah. James also eventually became friends with another fellow who would go on to a high level of acclaim, that being Neil Young. Yeah, he's, he's someone we've heard of. Yep. Quote, Neil was cool. He had a quirky sense of humor and a quick mind. His singing was a little strange, but his facility on the guitar was crazy, James said. Young at that point was living the life of a troubadour, just kind of moving from town to town to play music. He met Bruce Palmer, the two became friends, and Young was convinced to stick around the city for a while. By this time, James had joined a local band, which changed its name to The Sailor Boys in honor of their newest member they eventually changed their name to the minor birds. Now the minor birds were somewhat legendary because of the members who went on to great fame, but they were also star crossed and never actually had a hit for reasons that we'll get into shortly. Nick St. Nicholas was actually a member of the band for uh, a short time. And there is one thing I want to mention, uh, deviate from the script a little bit here. Now we are a member of the Pantheon podcast network. right. And I have told you on many occasions, I am somewhat limited in terms of uh, technology and doing anything on my phone or computer or any of that crap. So I figured out a way to listen to the podcast. You just got a
1: Facebook page two weeks ago.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I I, I figured out a way to listen to the podcast I'm on, and that was about it. But I have now listened to a couple of other Pantheon podcasts, and one of them turned out to be very relevant to this. We are in the same podcast family as the great Pamela DeBars, the, the world's most famous groupie. She had an episode where she actually interviewed Nick St. Nicholas. Nick St. Nicholas, as it turns out, was the first to trot upon her path, we'll say, ah. which they discussed in the uh, which she discussed in the podcast. interesting but but Nick St. Nicholas said that when he the first time he re, he met Rick James um the band he was in at the time was rehearsing and and james kind of walked in or whatever and he was wearing his sailor suit that he'd gone awol in that apparently he was supposed to wear when he re- reported to go to vietnam so nick asked him what songs he knew and rick Rick said oh, oh, I, oh I know a lot of songs and AK came down and started started kind of singing with them he said now you notice i did not say do you sing and he explained that and you and you really have to think about a the time that we're talking about and then think about Nick's lineage i believe he's from germany and then he moved i think to canada he said literally the only people of color he'd ever seen were all entertainers mm. but if you're from germany and then you move to canada that makes sense he said he said literally like any black person i'd ever seen was, was an entertainer because i the places i'd live were were very white and i just he said, yeah. he said so i i just assumed that like every black person could sing so i just said hey what songs do you know which i just thought was kind of interesting that you think about the look at this through the prism of it's the 60s he's a dude from germany who his family immigrated to somewhere in canada and then i think he ended up uh, leaving there and going to toronto but that i just thought that was kind of interesting i also found it interesting that he was pam's uh, first uh, friend there you go in that way uh, but anyway, I, I, I wholeheartedly want to encourage anybody to listen, to listen to her podcast, all of them that Pantheon does. But that one in particular was, I, I found really, really interesting, actually. So they changed their name to the Sailor Boys, and they eventually changed their name to the Minor Birds. And, and as I mentioned, uh, Nick St. Nicholas was a member of that for a short time, but he left and was replaced by Bruce Palmer. Now, the story of how the group got its name is an interesting one. A story from the website Afropunk details that there was a local club called the Minor Bird Club, which was a rock and roll slash strip joint run by professional golfer, Colin Kerr. Kerr had a prize pet Minor Bird named Raja, which he claimed was the reincarnated spirit of a nine-year-old boy he had once met in India. Wow. On top of the other stuff I already said about Nick St. Nicholas, he said in this the podcast with Pamela DeBars that uh, this guy was obsessively, creepily weird and obsessive about this minor bird of his. And I think Nick actually said he had more than one, but this was his prized one, Raja. So he, what you said was named for the reincarnated spirit of a nine-year-old boy he had met in India. He actually had his club's house band record a song called The Minor Bird Song, which his brother had written. He had a goal of getting Raja a spot on the Ed Sullivan Show. So he played a tape on a 24-7 loop next to the bird's cage that just said over and over, hello, Ed Sullivan, hello, Ed Sullivan, <laughs> hello, Ed Sullivan, hoping that this minor bird would learn to say, hello, Ed Sullivan, so that he could be on television.
3: It's remarkably like your British accent, actually.
4: Uh, yes, so I, I was gonna say, if you, if you ever, you may notice over time that all of my accents essentially <laughs> <are> the <laughs> they Kind accent. of blend together. <laughs> they really don't, there's really no difference between Irish, English. A minor bird, a a parrot. Um, But he he was hoping that the bird would just learn that line so that he could be on television. I'm really sorry that I've got to uh, interrupt this. How dare you interrupt this?
1: (laughs) I know, I'm sorry. But we do have to take a short sponsor break, and we will be right back.
0: With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band.
4: All right, and let's get back into the very wild and crazy life of Rick James, bitch. Nah, that's funny. Rick Roger never got his big T V break. But when uh the, the house band quit at the Minor Bird Club, Kerr hired the Sailor Boys, who changed their name to the Minor Birds. Kerr proved to be a benefactor for the Minor Birds, paying paying Hundreds of young girls to mob the band as they stepped out of a limo and lining up shows for them outside of his own club. The band, per a story in Far Out magazine, also caught the attention of John Craig Eaton of the Eaton's department store dynasty. He financed them, giving them a fairly large account to work from to buy equipment and take care of their, their other band needs. The band started to gain attention and actually signed to the Canadian division of Columbia records that released the single minor bird hop. The group yeah. then ventured to Detroit to so, audition for Motown.
1: So let, let the back, back it up for just a second. Okay. They're leaning heavily into this uh, minor bird thing, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's my life in Mad Libs.
4: <laughs> yes. That which we seem to, which 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 seems to be a thing that we do almost every week now. You're just like, yeah. They, they did what? Uh,
3: who? I think Rick James's life is more like my life in Cards Against Humanity at this point. <laughs> right. yeah. um,
4: so the group, after uh, having uh, that single put out, The Minor Bird Hop, ventured to Detroit to audition for Motown. This was around 1966. The audition went well and the band was signed. However, once they started to record, the band's guitarist became unhappy with the attention being paid to James and he abruptly quit. So suddenly, the Minor Birds were without a guitar player, but luckily... Wait, Paul was, there,
1: was there a guitar player, Morrissey?
4: I don't think it was uh, noted. What did you call him last week? I called him a douche whistle, but you called him something else.
1: A whiny... Man-baby? Man yeah. Man-baby man baby, or something like that. Whiny man-baby. That sounds about right.
3: Yeah. Um, and we I, feared backlash from the Morrissey Army. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and none, none.
4: Yeah. How, yeah. how odd that we said that stuff about Morrissey in our the last time we met, and then... There was some online uh, controversy about Morrissey a couple of days later. Well, he
1: got upset because the Simpsons featured him on their episode, which is, we didn't plan it that way, kids, just so you know. Yeah, that just happened. It's just the stars aligning to make fun of Morrissey.
4: <laughs> that was just that ha- that was just a magical kismet. Who would be upset because they were on the Simpsons? Why? I mean, would, I you would you not be, be I would I be flattered. Know.
1: Even if they're making
3: fun of you, dude. You still go. You, yeah. you still pay yeah. You still they, cared, they, they they cared they cared enough to make fun of you. It's like Weird Owl.
4: Yeah.
3: Right. It, right. Like
4: Weird Owl. I mean, I, I would consider that among the highest honors that I could receive. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So it was not, it was not Morrissey, but whoever their guitar player was left. But Palmer just happened to know a guy, that being Neil Young. Wow. So initially, Young considered the gig just a paid assignment that he'd do while he continued to pursue his solo music. However, he did end up joining the band, thus completing the extremely odd pairing of Neil Young and Rick James into the same band. Again, if you gave me two names
3: out of a hat, I don't think I'd come up with
4: that. You would would probably not have picked those two. (laughs) Uh, And then Bruce Palmer, of course, who would go on to be in uh, Buffalo Springfield. Uh, The Minor Birds featured a sound that was equal parts R&B and rock. Young actually compared their sound to that of The Rolling Stones. Quote, we got more and more into how cool the stones were, how simple they were, and how cool it was, Young says. James, in fact, referred to himself as, quote, the next Mick Jagger. Wow. Young actually shared a flat with James for a time.
3: Mick, Mick Jagger, who was 53 at the time. i would say who, who,
4: who at the time had just become eligible for social security, I think. <laughs> um, James, who had been using drugs from a very young age, had not slowed down. Young told Howard Stern in an interview, quote, we did some wild things. It's all very hazy to me now. I'm glad I made it through that stage. It got a little dicey. There were some drugs going on. And I remember singing one song for a day and a half. (laughs) So just sitting in the flat with Rick James, doing drugs and singing the same song for a day and a half. To be fair, it was the 60s, so. Right, right. right. New Young biographer Jimmy McDonough described the band's image as, quote, the minor birds in black leather jackets, yellow turtlenecks and boots had quite a surreal scene going. A May 1966 article from Billboard magazine indicated that the debut single from The minor Birds would be I've Got You In My Soul. That wasn't the case, however, probably because it was noticed at a certain point that the song sounded remarkably similar to Little Girl, a song by Van Morrison. Uh, well, by Van Morrison's uh, then-band Them. And I-, I listened to the two back-to-back. It's a- They ripped it off that there's like not really a question about it they could yeah they completely stole it they did end up recording some songs however though none of them would see the light of day for more than 40 years
2: oh wow Wow. we'll get
4: to why in just a second but let's take our first musical break of the episode so right now we're going to listen to the minor birds featuring rick james neil young and bruce palmer (laughs) with a song called it's my time here we go Okay, so I'm going to take it that that's the first time either of you had heard that song.
1: Yeah. Okay, so what did did you think? I actually, you know, uh, because I'm a fan of, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, pretty much in that order. (laughs) Um, I would have to say that it does, it sounds a lot like the birds. Yeah. Not not like the minor birds, but the birds. Um, A little bit of the kinks. Uh, You can definitely hear, like, their outside influences coming in i do actually like it but it's very tambourine heavy yeah
4: yeah which maybe makes it makes you think of of the birds a little bit
3: yeah yeah although you get with some of those beats it, it does border on that motown sound the beat does yes um but yeah like you got that 60s jangly kind of thing going on yeah further. i didn't really
4: hear us I, I didn't really get a stones vibe from that though no you know, which, you know, we just quoted Neil Young saying they were really getting into the Rolling Stones and stuff. Now I, I listened to a few of their other songs, and you could hear the more bluesy rock.
1: Now Stones I will say, drop. I will say, um, what is it? Uh, out of my head, yeah, under my thumb. Under my thumb. There, that that does. If you're going to go for a Rolling Stone song, I'd say it sounds a little bit more like under my and, thumb.
4: And under my thumb, it was a little came a little bit later, I think. And I, that, say, I think that was 70s
3: 70s era. I, I think. I think you're right. This sounds nothing like the Neil Young I know, but I'll say, no. but but
4: then again, I've but then again, I've I've had brown liquor, so don't don't trust my judgment on things like this. Uh, now, going into that song, I mentioned that it would be a really long time in between that was when that was recorded and when it was finally released. It wasn't until its inclusion on a complete Motown box set in 2006 that it was actually made available to the public for the first time. Oh wow! That is owed to the past of James finally catching up with him. Now. Because he was on the run from the law in the United States, he went by a fake name. A musician friend of his recommended he use the name Ricky James Matthews, which happened to be the name of the woman's deceased cousin. Hmm. James, in fact, pretended to be that woman's son. Oh, wow. That name got shortened when he met Stevie Wonder at Motown, who told him his name was too long and suggested he go by Ricky James. However, not Young, not Palmer, not Mitchell, No one knew James's full backstory and none were aware that he was on the run from military authorities in the United States. The the only person in whom James had confided about being AWOL was minor birds manager, Morley Shellman. It was alleged that Shellman had pocketed the advance from Motown. And when the band found out, they fired him. James additionally alleged that quote, I beat his ass. I don't
1: think that's a lie. Yeah, I believe
4: that probably so. However it actually played out, Showman told Motown about James being on the run from the law and military and thus the label shelved the entire project. Oh, wow. They did tell James, though, that once he had come clean and done his time, they would still be interested in him. So he reluctantly returned himself or, or turned himself in to the FBI and was sentenced to five months of hard labor. Only now turning 18... James mounted an whoa, escape. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Good he's lord! He's not
1: thirty-five
4: yet. He's not, He's not twenty-one yet. Oh my
2: god!
4: Yeah. Now, having just turned eighteen, James mounted an escape from the Brooklyn Naval Brig after serving only six weeks of his sentence.
3: He's freaking <laughs> out of a
4: military prison. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my! God. He would again be a fugitive from justice, but turned himself in just six months later. His mother, his cousin, Louis Stokes, who would later serve in Congress, and a very good attorney helped plead his possible five-year sentence down to five months. This time, he served his sentence out, and then he was a free man. He returned to Toronto for a bit, then headed back to Detroit. Though he was no longer a wanted man and didn't need an assumed name, he kept the name Ricky James, which he eventually shortened to Rick. By this time, the old version of the minor birds had split up. Palmer and Young had decided to go to Los Angeles and drove there in a hearse that Young had purchased. Purchased, mind you. Uh Uh-huh. He just bought a hearse. Yep. Young would eventually uh, pay homage to his time in the Minor Birds with his song, Mr. Soul. James tried to get a new version of the band together, but it quickly fell by the wayside. In 1968, he began writing for Motown, where the Spinners and the Miracles both ended up cutting some of his
3: songs. Can we just point out how porous the northern border is at this point in history? Mm-hmm. I mean, people just walking back and forth, waltzing in and out. Oh, yeah, unbelievable.
4: Yeah, I mean, and th- this was, you know, I think that this was a very popular locale for uh, deserters,
3: right? right? I mean, Ooh. they
4: they from the United States people who did who who did not want to be sent to Vietnam or or or, or whatever opposed it. They they would actually flee to Canada and 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 if it's as easy as it was for Rick is it you know that gives the impression that like you said you could almost just literally just walk across and nobody said anything
3: yeah and certainly Rick James is not alone as you point out a lot of people when they were found out they might get drafted went over the border
4: yes it was for this reason that you could say whatever you want to about Watergate or whatever else you dared not speak ill of Richard Milhouse Nixon in the presence of my father got it because his, because his number had been drawn and he was, uh, essentially, he was in the next wave to go when Nixon began the drawdown of troops and started to end, the, to end America's involvement in it. So <laughs> you, you did not speak ill of Richard Milhouse Nixon around my dad, because he was like a whisker from heading over there. Woof. Yeah, that wasn't an especially lucrative gig, reportedly paying less than $50 a week but James found a way to secure some extra income. That being by straight up pimping, yo. Oh, here we go. Quote, so many of the big name men at Motown had worked as pimps that it was practically the norm, James said. He claimed that he and Jimmy Ruffin, who had a hit with what becomes of the brokenhearted, took their girlfriends to Toronto to have them, quote, work the clubs. Eventually, James grew his fledgling small business adding three additional female employees. He's an entrepreneur? To his roster of, yeah, small business. Uh, Yeah, he added three new employees to his roster of talent. However, he eventually found himself ill-suited for management or something like that. (laughs) Quote, I like the hard-edged discipline and cold-blooded attitude a good pimp requires, he lamented. Quote, if my bitch said she was too tired to work, I said go home. If she said some John had beat her up, I'd find the John and beat his ass. Pimping was too inhuman for me. I let the girls go and went back to my music.
3: What a saint.
4: Everything about that sentence is so ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I,
3: I'm thinking part. Oh. I'm still wow. <laughs> wow. Oh. I mean I mean, it's a watershed a, moment when you realize you're not cut out to be a pimp. Right. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, let's let's
1: face it. Pimping ain't
4: easy. It ain't easy. I mean, if his bitch said she was too tired to work, he told her to take a nap. You can't, you can't make get anywhere in the pimping game that way. We here at Rock and Roll Heaven do not
1: condemn the use of word referring to women as bitches. Nor do we quote. people in the sex work uh, field. And I'm sorry that my brother is here. <laughs> <laughs>
4: you doing direct quotes.
3: This isn't this yeah. are
4: direct quotes. This is what Rick James said. It's a documentary. Okay. Um, he and Motown session bassist Greg Reeves decided to move to Los Angeles and try to, quote, hitch a lift from Neil Young's rising star.
1: Well, how old is he now? Like 14?
4: <laughs> <laughs> right. I think he's regressed to 14. He's about 19 or 20, I guess. At like, he's like dog years. Jeez. Uh, really? By this time, Young's stature as a singer songwriter was on the rise. He and James uh, had. Lived together, been friends, and had been in a band together. So James hoped that that would be an end for him once he got there. So he and Reeves headed to California. Upon arriving, James initially crashed on the couch of Stephen Stills.
3: What? Are you just pulling so, James out of a hat? I'm sorry. Uh, right.
4: Oh, it, it, I'll just keep, oh, hang on, buddy. It gets better. Well, just wait a second. So he crashed on the couch of Stephen Stills. And this is when he got back into Gumpian territory. On one of his first nights in town, James said he, quote, awoke to see a young dude sitting on the floor in the lotus position, stoned as a mother effer, with blood dripping from his wrist. He seemed hypnotized by the flow of his own blood, saying things like, quote, isn't the blood beautiful? Isn't that the deepest red you've ever seen? James was afraid that the guy who he didn't know was going to bleed to death. So he woke up Stills and told him what was going on, only to hear the response, oh, F, he's doing it again. So the two gathered up, quote, bandages and gauze and took care of the guy, who remained passive throughout the or- ordeal. When they bandaged the man up, Stills supposedly said to James, Ricky, meet Jim Morrison.
3: What? Uh-huh. Also, Gumpian territory reminds me of a place you keep attacking in the board game Risk, which you can never quite take. <laughs> oh, my God just had to point that out like
1: i i keep saying (laughs) it's like your life is created by a mad lib
4: it's this is
3: let's let's just recap you have bruce palmer Joni mitchell neil young you're sleeping on steven still's couch and the guy himself in the next room over is jim morrison which is oh crap he's doing it again
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh
3: thank (sighs) you Uh good night everyone (laughs) yeah Yeah.
4: Uh, okay now oddly Uh given their Oddly, given their very strange introduction, James said the two actually became friends. Morrison was fascinated by James's history with Motown and actually read him a poem about, quote, the dead angels of history returning as groupies. He liked Morrison's poetry tri- and trippy lyrics, but actually thought Morrison was a terrible singer. <laughs> uh, Morrison managed to trick James into taking LSD for the first time, telling him that it
3: was a mint. So, so, wait, the guy was shooting heroin at age 12? Yep, 13, yeah. And he had to have Jim Morrison slip him LSD.
4: Yeah, and so Morrison dosed him with LSD. So, get, the story gets way better than that. So, both of them, tripping balls on acid, went to Disneyland. <laughs>
1: i quit i can't i i my brain isn't constructed holy hell the way that that needs to be constructed to to put
4: to 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 process any of to process any of the words that i am saying now
1: yes it's it's not i have not had enough coffee or
4: oh god something there's just something, something rick james and jim morrison tripping balls on acid went to disneyland for what would have qualified as one of the weirdest things in the history of weird things in the history of the weird world, in my opinion. However, Disney attendants denied the two entries since they were both very clearly high. <laughs> Quote, we were turned away because our hippie threads were too far out for white bread Disney. F Disney. How, we to-
1: <laughs> how trash do you have to be where you can't gain entry where grown people go hug and life-size
3: mice. Have you ever been on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? That's like an acid trip in and of itself.
4: Oh, my God. So he said, F, F Disney. We went to some dumpy bumper car place and had a ball. The more I hung, the more I was digging L.A., James said. So basically, they went to, like, some crappy, like, roadside carnival jim morrison and rick james did high on acid and rode the bumper cars
3: i wonder if it wasn't knott's Berry farm and i'm not being funny when i say that because think about it, they would have to drive to anaheim where else would right they go? where's that
1: but no isn't knott's Berry in anaheim too? Knott's Berry is too
3: yes i'm wondering if they just left went over to Knott's, and started running into each other in cars but, it, but that so so
4: basically they wander into place for a man missing both thumbs with a hairy neck wearing a, a dirty t-shirt <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Oh my goodness, I have so many questions. I, I don't. Even yeah, I, I, that's that. You know, they, like that. That's the guy that says, "Oh, so two, two, two for the bumper cars." <laughs> what kind of? I want you to imagine. Okay, first of all, let's imagine being on acid and being on bumper cars, but then let's imagine what, how Rick James and Jim Morrison high on acid riding bumper cars would have seemed like an acid trip for everybody else that was present.
3: I was gonna say the contact high would be in, remarkable.
4: Including, including thumbless, hairy neck, dirty shirt, ride attendant. And then, then
3: you've probably before. got like some nine-year-old who unlike Rick James has not yet had sex, just trying to drive these bumper cars and get them all some people. I mean, think about this. Oh, and you got a
4: couple of 12-year-olds who've never even messed with smack the <sighs> squares.
3: <laughs> Living
4: in a bubble, am I right? Yeah. Um sadly, Holy of course, tomato. sadly, of course, Jim Morrison would pass away just a few years later, uh dying in France in nineteen seventy one, or so the Germans would have us believe. Um, which was the same year, by the way, nineteen seventy-one, that saw the formation of Manfred
3: Man's Earth
4: Band. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen,
3: our federally mandated reference to Manfred Man's Earth Band has, has been, been satisfied.
4: satisfied of the podcast. Thank Good you. Um, musically speaking, James and Reeves, uh, were eventually working on being a duo. However, around this time, Stills was in the process of putting together a new band in the wake of Buffalo Springfield, beginning to splinter and eventually break up. This would be a bit of a super group that would feature Stills, David Crosby, formerly of the Birds, and Graham Nash, who had previously played with the Hollies. Who would eventually pull
3: they, in Young, if I'm not mistaken.
4: They would, of course, eventually add Neil Young to their lineup and Palmer as a bass player. Wow! But at this point, they were considering both James and Reeves to be their bass player. Wow. So Rick James was considered to be the bass player for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. A-
3: hang on. He was—he he did bongos and percussion. He had any training on any other
4: instrument? He, he, okay, so by this time, and we've had to you know, kind of jump around, and let's just be honest given some of his other life experiences, I've kind of skipped over the him teaching himself to play bass. Oh, no, and
3: I can understand why. I'm just, I just, again, the question. Yes, he,
4: uh, Rick, Rick, by this time, he, he had learned to play guitar and bass and percussion. He was, I mean, keyboards, I think. He's a multi-instrumentalist. I mean, he could play, okay. a, he could play a lot of instruments. Impressive. So, but yeah, he, so Rick James was a candidate to be the bass player for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. <laughs>
3: That's bananas.
4: Um, they eventually, however, opted for Reeves to be the base player, but Stills liked James and didn't want there to be any hard feelings. So he actually approached James and asked if it would be okay if they brought Reeves on to, the, to play with them instead of him. James was disappointed, but he gave his stamp of approval. And, and as a bit of a peace offering and to assure that there were no hard feelings, Stills handed James a vial of pharmaceutical grade cocaine, as the two wrapped up their talk. <laughs>
1: Sorry, you're not in the band. Here's, here's your some toot.
4: Smack. Here's some really good cut. This
3: is good. Let I me mean, Rick, for real. This is some good shit, dog. This is kind of like when Pat Sajak says, we have some nice party goods for you. I mean. Right. Right. He got the drug equivalent of a lifetime supply of rice or rice. You're not going to be the bass player, but. Uh, the San Francisco treat. Here's some blow. Thanks for playing.
4: So he didn't get a spot in Crosby, Stills and Nash. But Los Angeles was still being very kind to him. He met a man named James Sebring, who James described as, quote, a cat who'd made millions selling hair products. <laughs> yep. Specifically, he was the founder of the hairstyling corporation at Sebring International. Much as he had found patrons of the arts in Canada that helped him financially, James found one stateside in Sebring.
1: Hey, you understand how hard it is for me to keep my mouth shut right now. I, right?
4: I know, but it, but, but that's, this is kind of an important thing that's coming up.
1: I'm gone. Um, okay. Um, I'm I'm. Okay.
4: So, uh, yeah. not only was he a benefactor, Sebring was also a friend who took James to many of the big star studded parties he so enjoyed. One evening in August of 1969, James claims that Sebring invited James and his then girlfriend, Seville, to a party he would be attending at the home of director Roman Polanski, yeah. which oh, was James. being thrown by his girlfriend at the time, actress Sharon Tate quote, there was going to be a big party and Jay didn't want us to miss it, James said. So anyone who knows the names I just read and paid attention to the date of this party probably knows what unfolded next, but they probably have no idea how James was associated with it. He claims that he was nursing a horrible hangover, one so bad that he could barely get out of bed. So he and Seville missed that party at which members of Charles Manson's clan brutally murdered Sebring, Tate, and other guests.
1: Abigail Folger, Steven Parent, and Wojciech Frakowski. Thank you. This is a and then the following night is. killing uh Leno and Rosemary LaBianca.
4: Yep. James yeah. claims he was completely unaware of the horror that unfolded until the next day when he went to the grocery store and saw a headline on the LA Times detailing the murders.
1: And I will I will say this I will I will say this right now. Okay. Uh um, a lot of that is hearsay because if you went back and actually like talked to people during that time everybody was invited to the house that night everybody in hollywood apparently Mm -hmm. was invited to that so like people were making claims like oh i was supposed to be there oh i was supposed to be there so like honestly i love rick james but we will take that with a grain of salt. because
4: I, I will, but now he apparently, he did know Sebring and Sebring was sort of a patron of the arts for him who, who did uh, support him financially, did take him to a lot of parties. I mean, that, that part's not made up.
3: Yeah. And, and also bear in mind, this, I mean, it's easy to look back knowing what we know now about Roman Polanski, but at that time he was huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was walking on water in Hollywood.
4: Yeah. So James stayed extremely busy at this point though he still didn't have the big breakthrough hit that he was looking for. He formed a band. Are you ready for this? I no, know you no. like crappy. We, we all love crappy band names. This isn't a crappy one. It's one that, with a slight modification, would become very famous about 15 years later. Okay. Right? Salt and Pepper. Wow. Now, not Peppa. Pepper.
3: Pepper, yeah.
4: He, he formed that with a man named Ed Roth, and the two of them both played on Bruce Palmer's solo album, The Cycle is Complete, a 38-minute, full-length album that contained three songs. (laughs) So, sadly, we will not be playing any of those here today, (laughs) since they averaged 13 minutes in length. Yeah, I know. Rush would be proud. (laughs) Yep. James and Rolf recorded as the duo Heaven and Earth in Toronto. They eventually changed their name to Great White Cane and recorded a self-titled album for a small L.A. label called Lion Records. The promo shots for the album show the musicians, including James, decked out in cowboy attire, with James wearing a black hat. (laughs) Ah. So let's do a little bit of deep cut diving here for a song that very few of you have probably ever heard. Given that a YouTube video for it only has a few hundred views, I certainly had not heard it prior to starting my research for this episode. In fact, I had never even heard of the band. But here's Rick James and White Cane with a song called Find It. So first of all, we were talking as that played. You both really like that song. I yes. did. I did. Yes. What what kind of vibe did that give you?
1: I'm I'm getting the uh, who did? Why can't we be friends?
3: Sly the family stone was that Sly, the family, stone? Sly the family stone? The stone yeah. yeah,
1: it's giving me that kind of vibe. That like almost like almost like a kind of junkyard get together. It sounds like there's like 40 people just rocking out, and you feel that like energy and that vibe. And I really like that because. You know when I when I say junkyard energy, it's like improvised but, instruments. And wait a minute, like hang on that. a second. I'm sorry. Yeah.
4: Why can't we be friends? with uh Edwin? It's Edwin Star in War? Isn't it? Is um, it? I, I, think um, slide. I think it's
1: Somebody
4: slide. look it up. That it took me a second because um you know booze. Okay, it is. <laughs> booze, 130 work hours in two weeks, et cetera, and so on.
3: War, war. It is war. Yeah. It's okay. Star wrong. War. Okay. yeah okay, Okay. Yeah. All right. You you threw one name out. Uh,
4: Will that made a lot of sense it sounded it sounded like early Chicago that was my first
3: inkling and I I,
4: that's a good that was a really that's a really good analogy I think that's a good comparison
3: but the one that now rings true to me is I hear three dog night I totally hear three dog
4: I hear almost the baby of uh Chicago and Tina Turner
3: oh wow okay and also you get like a little bit of that funk infusion. I feel like that's, we're moving well, that's in that what I'm direction. Talking about
1: yeah. that, that like junkyard sound. Mm-hmm. The, what I'm talking about when I say junkyard sound, I'm saying like a group of people getting together with like instru- uh, improvised instruments, <clears throat> like spoons and washboard and stuff like that. Like just things that you can like smash,
2: mm-hmm. you know, just yeah.
1: things that stomp, stomp, sorry, stomp. Stomp, okay. uh, Just, you know, you play on whatever you have and then you make this joyful noise. And I I really dig that because it sounds like it's a very collaborative thing, not just a solo.
4: Okay, so his interactions with greatness have not stopped yet. (laughs) While he was visiting Toronto, James claims that he became a drug runner for his coat dealer roommate. (laughs) At some point, that side hustle included delivering drugs to funk legend George Clinton.
1: Oh, <laughs> George Clinton, and the person that was supplying the drugs was <sighs> director David Lynch.
4: <laughs> both- not, not that I'm not that I'm actually aware of, but at this point, why not? Yeah, <laughs> to just to say anything; it's who, probably
2: true. Who
1: is who is currently dating Queen Victoria, <laughs> and they were taking care of their child, Russell Crowe. Inter-
4: interesting. You should mention foreign royalty, but we'll, I think we'll get there in part two.
1: <laughs> oh, by the way, guys. I was just joking about all that. Uh, David Lynch, to my knowledge, has never run drugs.
3: So, uh, Although after this episode, I'm looking all of this up because we <laughs> don't know. We yes, don't Elizabeth know. Right, exactly. He says that um,
4: Clinton invited him to do a line with him. The two talked, and James says that he showed off some of his musical skills to a man he somewhat idolized. He says that Clinton told him, quote, you shouldn't be running no toot, and encouraged him to sign with a label offering to help as much as he could provided that he, quote, kept the good blow coming. (laughs) Now, it needs to be noted that Clinton, while not contradicting that story as far as I saw, didn't always have the highest opinion of Rick James. He not only accused James of appropriating parts of funkadelic songs into his own, he mockingly called him Slick James in future years. For his part, James claims that Clinton snorted a bunch of his toot, but never actually helped him get a record deal. Okay, so he kept grinding. He formed another band, uh, this one called Hot Lips, and briefly played in McKenna Mendelssohn Mainline, a Toronto-based blues band. He and Mainline guitarist Mike McKenna co-wrote the song You Make the Magic, which would later be released by the Chambers Brothers. Finally, he started to get a taste of the success he had been chasing most of his life, all like 24 years of it at this point. When he signed with A&M Records, his first single would be under the name Rick James. A song called My Mama that still had one foot in rock and wasn't yet into the fully realized funk that he would become famous for. It became a surprise club hit in Europe, and so he went across the pond for a short tour to help promote it. During that club tour, James met a tall, very attractive 19-year-old Swedish model and found her to be, quote, freedom herself. While the two of them were, you know, enjoying one another's company at her house, James said the two ended up having a surprise visitor. Quote, her mother walked in the room and joined us in bed.
3: Oh my. Uh, Okay. That's a thing.
4: This was my first real introduction to fully realized freakery. So he had reached fully realized freakery and some super freakery was just around the corner in every sense. Oh, so uh, that's all we've got for tonight. I don't really have a discussion point for us on this one other than I would like for you two to reflect on your favorite parts of this episode. Yeah, what did you find the most I, insane? Yeah, I, I'm gonna like- what, what, what is the most insane story that we had?
3: Uh, I think it was the part where Rick James was in the delivery room bringing the future members of Glass Tiger into the world. I think that was the moment that <laughs> with me.
4: I like it when he trained the elephants. <laughs> you know, at, at one point, uh, he and the bass tech for Manfred Mann's Earth Band smoked some powdered ferret scat out of a wormwood didgeridoo.
3: And the fact is, we have to fact check it because in this episode, it would does
4: <laughs> there You can't. If everything I just told you is true, you can't tell me that I just made that up. Exactly. This is Within, the you, you cannot, with any degree of certainty, call me a liar. I was gonna say Jim Morrison and Rick James being too high to gain admittance to Disneyland. So they go ride bumper cars. That's probably my favorite that we've done so far. So they
3: go, yeah. So they go ride bumper cars,
4: (laughs) and so they went to some they uh, to to per James's retelling some dumpy roadside carnival. It sounded like basically, and rode bumper cars.
3: Yeah, the two of them, like you said, just tripping balls. In a bumper car arena is that's an uh, image right
1: there. I know it sounds weird, but I'm going to pick something very. I'm going to pick something weird. Mm-hmm. The idea that he actually worked it out in his head that to stay out of combat in Vietnam, he would sign up for the military.
4: Well, while being now that him. was actually that was actually a pretty common thing. Is that you you tried to get either in the reserves. Or in the national guard or something
3: but if he was under the age he wouldn't have been conscripted anyway that, so yeah. that
4: that's the part that's the part yeah. that doesn't make any sense if you were 14 or 15 you were safe for three more years exactly. at least. yeah um yeah. so uh it, it, so in the national guard or something was a a way that some people went about avoiding having to go to vietnam yeah. but it's like dude you're 14 or 15. like you've just got a driver's permit like you don't you're not going to get drafted why are you doing I don't you're, yeah. you're right I don't understand that part
1: yeah so that's that's the one where I'm just like I don't know the thought process there but I'm gonna say I think you might be wrong
4: yeah and with, <laughs> Will will and I just Will and I just noted as while you were gone how crazy an episode has it been when the last thing I say is he had a three-way with a hot swedish model and her mother and you're like okay yeah Yeah. that seems like a little that seems like a little bit of a letdown
3: as you do i'm
4: gonna
1: say that rick james's life sort of sounds like what we went through with 2020 it's just like at some point (laughs) like in the first you know two three months we're like oh yeah that's crazy that's so weird by the end of it we're just you know and and when you get into the middle it's like okay what's next And by the end of
3: it, you're like, oh, murder hornets. Sure, why not? I I remember just glancing at the news and thinking, oh, asteroids first hit Earth on Election Day. Pass the coffee, please.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's aliens now.
3: Yeah, yeah. the The, government is like, there are aliens.
1: The government came out and said there are aliens. And we were all like, but
3: wait, (laughs) (laughs) what are the bare naked ladies doing? We're like, that's great. Can you hang it on the fridge? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, good.
1: okay. I I will equate Rick James's life to how we accepted news in 2020. At the beginning, we were shocked and shaken. And by the end of it, anything could have happened and we would have just accepted it.
4: Yeah. If if, if at the end of 2020, someone said, hey, there's a a giant fiery penis that is uh, heading toward Earth. That's gonna have sex with the polar cap. Twitter gone like, yeah,
2: okay. Well yeah, hey, sure.
4: hey, hey hey, let's get hey hope hope if they gonna web stream that so I can watch it, that'll be cool. <laughs> <laughs> like it like there's nothing you could have thrown at us in December of twenty twenty. Think about how numb we were to everything that there's a massive explosion in downtown nashville on christmas day and everybody's just like yeah hey, well
3: you're like well <laughs>
4: like, li- like that literally, literally when that story that story disappeared in a few hours like nobody came
1: yeah, <laughs> we're just like oh okay huh, here we go yeah
4: so uh that that is uh, uh where we're gonna wrap up uh let ld uh kick out our socials and then we'll play one uh song to close it out.
1: yeah i don't know if i feel like kicking out my socials <laughs> no, we <don't> <laughs> Hell, we kind of have to yeah. so i'm gonna do it but only because we have to, not because I want to. Um, so if you think that we're doing a great job. And, um,
4: <laughs> why, why wouldn't you after this masterpiece? Yeah,
1: exactly.
3: If you didn't question anything we just presented. <laughs> you
1: can give us money and tell us we're great. You can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll our Instagram is rock and roll heaven lt facebook rock and roll heaven pod still not saying our website and you can email us at rock and roll lt at gmail.com and please make sure to check out all the other pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com which includes the aforementioned podcast that tj 2 the deuce mentioned
4: earlier which was called miss pamela's pajama party pod- i listened to a couple episodes of hers that they're really really good it, uh, you know, she's got, there are a lot of, uh, a wide array of people from the, from the musical world she talks to. And it's, she has a really unique perspective on it and stuff. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed some of those that I listened to.
1: What's crazy is it's almost like our network knows how to, uh, you know, rope in podcasts that are good and about music, but somehow we still flip through, which is weird.
4: Yeah. There are people <laughs> who actually like no, no stuff about anything. And then there's a- us. <laughs> <laughs> talk, 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 talking about rick james rick james losing his virginity when he was nine
1: we are we are three <laughs> chuckleheads with wikipedia yep. what you do toot, toot. all right now uh, no. and,
4: and 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 we love we as you just said you, you heard all the social stuff we love hearing from you we actually got a, a comment from somebody on facebook this week who until they listened to our series on david bowie had never listened to bowie
1: that's awesome like i'm so happy that that's that's kind of why I started this podcast, was to open up these stories to people so that they go out and they they discover these artists. Because, and,
4: and you would think in most cases, like, uh, you've never heard of David Bowie. Well, you know, not everybody's listened to everything. Mm-hmm. That, it might seem like it might, we might be aghast, like, so there's a person who's never listened to Bowie. And it's like, there's a lot of people who haven't listened to a lot of stuff that you probably think they have.
1: I mean, the thing is, uh, taking that, Note uh, um, yeah. before I did the episode on Chris Cornell, I had only heard one song mm-hmm. by Soundgarden, really, yeah, yeah, and so what you know, th- but that's that was see, but
4: you- how did you grow up in the house with me and you only heard one sound, surprise. Song? yeah
1: uh because uh you hated me growing up and I also, uh, oh, was, oh yeah, yeah i forgot about that but
3: i also <laughs> played you his solo stuff which you really enjoyed. yeah, yeah.
1: and that's the thing yeah. i you know it's it's a rare treat when you get to kind of do what you want your audience to do which is yeah. to go seek out these new artists that you never would have learned anything about like oh, i went
3: back and revisited bowie's catalog we've been talking about that yeah i found a so, lot of stuff i enjoyed. And, and
1: that's the thing is like i i, I you know like I, uncle, I, uncle Black arthur Black, I, I love uh, so things that are close to as good as Uncle Arthur, but that's a high bar, let's be honest. I mean, how much bread have you ever listened to?
4: Baby, I'm a want you. <laughs> Baby, I'm a need you.
3: Yeah. That one? that's that's exactly the one
1: bread or america or super tramp or you know oh i
4: love oh no uh, no 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 super Tramp's awesome i love super i
1: love me some super tramp will makes fun of me for loving super tramp as much as (laughs) i do give a little bit of your time to me so i don't think it was that he'd never had listened to bowie he just never tried to listen to bowie not that i don't
4: think he never yeah but 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 that but see that's that's very cool that we can connect with people that way and, may, and maybe turn them on to somebody that they weren't familiar with or who they've certainly are, are aware of them, but aren't, haven't listened to the whole catalog or what, or whatever. So we look love, we love the feedback. We'd love to hear from you about, you know, Rick James riding the white horse when he was 13 or whatever, um, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever reflections you might have on the train wreck. I just presented.
3: <laughs> and We're not letting up either. Are oh, we done.
1: We're done. We're, we're done. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Uh, So, uh, I'm so sorry you guys tuned in this week. Uh, We appreciate you sticking with us. Uh... Good grief. We really appreciate you guys just being here and sharing with us. So, guys, thank you so much for checking this episode out. Uh, I promise next week will be better. Um, <laughs> can we <guarantee> that? I <laughs> promise I nothing. We can. I don't actually know. But uh, thank you for being here for this episode. Hopefully you'll check us out next episode where I'm pretty sure it's not going to get any better. Um, oh, no. From LLG, have a great week. Do something awesome. And uh, we'll see you next
3: time. Good night. Thanks for coming along. And thank you, Glass Tiger, for just existing. Oh, hello. Wow.
4: Okay, so we're going to check out tonight with uh, the song that became a club hit in Europe and perhaps served as a prelude to bigger hits to come down the road. We're going to sign off from rock and roll heaven tonight with Rick James and my mama. i to have more hands
2: <laughs> <laughs> <get> it. <laughs> it's NFL draft season and that means it's
0: time to start thinking about fantasy football